How do you get the first win against the Aggies in South Carolina SEC rivalry history here? Yeah, no, you're right. We need to we need to win win one of these in this game. Apparently, this is a trophy game, but nobody around here can show me or tell me what the trophy looks like. We've never <laughs> seen it. Hello, welcome in. Today is Tuesday, October eighteenth. Here we are. It's always college football. We appreciate you being with us. You can hear Coach Shane Beamer right there in the cold open, but you're also going to hear him here today. He's our guest. We have a guest every Tuesday. Very happy to be joined by the head coach of the South Carolina Gamecocks, but that's just not it. we got a lot that we want to get to here on a Tuesday edition of Always College Football. We are at the midway point. We're actually slightly beyond the midway point, but almost every team in college football now has played at least six games. You know what we need to do? I think we really need to dial in to some mid-season All-Americans. So what we did is we took quarterback, wide receiver, and running back, and we're going to give you the top six that I've seen so far at the position at the midway point. And by the way, I had a difficult time putting these lists together. There are at least six players, at least six players that are deserving of possible All-American contention. So need to get to all that. And I'm telling you already, if I forgot someone on your team or if I didn't list someone on your team, they were probably in the honorable mention category because I'm telling you, there's a lot of good football players out there right now. But we had to make a list and we had to cut it off somewhere. We couldn't have 24 All-Americans at wide receiver, okay? Don't worry, we're going to get into it. But without much further ado, let's talk to the head coach of South Carolina. He's Shane Beaver. All right, welcoming in one of the best personalities in college football. He's Shane Beamer. He's the head coach of the South Carolina Gamecocks. Coach, congratulations on an awesome start, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. Really appreciate you having me on, Greg. No, we appreciate the time. I think that you're a fascinating person to give us perspective on where we're at in college football. I've said this outwardly. I think no coach in college football makes me feel older than you. And I mean that in a, in a positive way. Because no one exemplifies the change in the student-athlete, I think, more than your program and how you can relate to the players and you make South Carolina cool. I, for one, am not cool, never tried to be, never claimed to be. But how have you just been able to adapt your approach to just being what the players relate to and making sure that it's fun for the guys? Yeah, uh, most people that know me would say I'm not cool either, especially my kids. <laughs> but, you know, I just think it's a different time. And... um you know, I've been around some great coaches in my career and I've taken from all of them. But at the end of the day, I just I try and be me and I want our coaches and the people here in this program to just be real and genuine. And, you know, there's a lot on these guys plates as student athletes at the age of 18, 19, 20 years old. And and there's a lot going on when they're not in this football facility. And when they are in this facility, I want it to be fun and want them to look forward to coming into this building each and every day. And, and I think we've done a good job of balancing and don't get me wrong. Like it's really hard to be a football player in this program. I mean, we hold our guys accountable. It's demanding. We coach them hard, but it's built on love and honesty and, and genuine care. And, and I think you see the, the, the realness of that come out, you know, hopefully with the way that our guys play on the field and, and then how we do things throughout the year. Well, they, I mean, there's no doubt they play hard for you, coach. I mean, there's no denying. And uh, to me, like, 
after a win, we'd almost be like, all right, well, we did what we we're supposed to do. It's like we were robots. You know what I mean? But that's yeah. just not the player nowadays. It's like it's it just it's different and, and how it's approached and the guys want to dance. And in, in your words, put on stupid sunglasses. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I think- no, you're exactly right. And, and they should. I mean, when you've you've uh, played. I mean, winning's hard. Yeah, and, it is. You know, the general fan thinks, okay, this is just supposed to automatically happen. Well, every team that takes the field on Saturdays thinks they're going to win that game. And they put everything they can into winning that game. So when we do win, we're going to we're gonna celebrate the heck out of it. And don't get me wrong, when we come in here on Sundays after a game and we meet with the team, whether it's a win or a loss, I mean, we're, we're very real and, and honest and – and, and, and open about the things we did well and the things we didn't do well. And you can always learn from that. I mean, there were some great things, obviously, in that Kentucky game a couple of weeks ago, but there were some, you know, bad things that we put on tape that we needed to make sure that we showed the team as well. So we always learn from it. But, you know, we're judged as coaches on 12 Saturdays a year, and that's it. And when you're, when you're able, you put a lot of work into those Saturdays. So when we are uh, fortunate enough to come out on the – the winning end of it. Yeah. We're going to, uh, we're never going to apologize for winning around here. Well, I, I feel, I felt well coming into the interview, I felt reluctant to ask you about two weeks ago because I know you're, I mean, you've had a bye week Like you, you might be a totally different team today than you were two <laughs> weeks ago. At least I hope you, you are uh, in some ways for sure. But, but let's go back a couple weeks and, and just what a moment that was. And, and a lot of people said, well, it was backup quarter, you know, the, all that it's not your fault. Like you went out and you played to your standard. You won the game and you got a win against a top 13 team on the road. And that signifies major progress for your program. So so where are you guys at right now, Coach, as far as just how you're feeling about how you're playing and how you feel like you could finish the season? Yeah, we're getting, we're getting better. We're certainly um, a, a different team and a better team than what we were early uh, in the season and hopefully better than what we were against Kentucky a couple of weeks ago. I mean, we worked hard during that off week to, to get better. And, you know, I think we dealt with some adversity early on in the season. We haven't had the same five defensive backs stay healthy and play in every game since the first series of the first game against Georgia state. And uh, we're, we're starting two freshmen in the secondary right now. We've lost our best, our, our, our starting defensive end to an ACL. We lost our starting linebacker to an ACL all in the Arkansas game. So we dealt with some adversity early in the season, but we've just continued to just work and, and get better. And then you know this from playing quarterback with Spencer, our quarterback. Yes, he's played a lot of football, but it's still year one in this system. And it's still year one throwing to all these new receivers and tight ends. Uh, and some of those guys weren't here for spring practice. So he continues to get better. And, and I like where we are. And, and I'm proud of how we played um, a, a against Kentucky. Certainly, you know, they, they missed Will Levis. But our guys played really, really hard that night. And they played really, really physical that night. And uh, we were able to move the ball against a really good defense. And uh, we were able to control the line of scrimmage against a physical football team in UK and, and Coach Stoops' program. So that's what I was proud of is just the effort and the physicality we played with that night. And, and now the challenge for us is to, to get ready to do it again. You know, we're, we're into five straight SEC games coming up starting Saturday and, and then Clemson at the end of the season. So there's no, uh, there's no breathers from here on out. No, it's 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 no rest for the weary. There's no denying that it is an absolute grind. The schedule that you're on, and it obviously it starts with A and M this week. A team that's got to get a win as well. Um, when you look at 
where you're at. You reference it. It's like, by the way, do we send you the questions? I feel like you're answering the question that I'm about to ask with the question beforehand. Like, I don't think we did, but goodness gracious, you're all over it. You did it. I was going <laughs> to ask you about the attrition. I've never seen anything quite like the Arkansas game, right? Where you have injuries, you guys, I mean, y'all have had to battle a lot and you're not a crazy deep football team. So when you're having to rely on freshmen, and I think this goes even maybe beyond your program, but when you're having to you're forced to thrust freshmen into the lineup, well, what does that do to you guys as a coaching staff? Do you have to water it down? How do you approach it differently? Yeah, you have to be smart with what you're, you know, asking them to do. There's no question about it. And and um, you know, two of those freshmen, I mean, we weren't we weren't even sure. Nicky Minwari, who's playing great as a true freshman at safety. I mean, when he came in, we weren't even sure if he was going to be a linebacker or a safety for us just because of his size. And we started him out at safety because of the lack of depth that we had back there going into the season. And, and now he's starting. And then DQ Smith, who is our, you know, nickel slash safety, right. he was a high school quarterback that had never played defense. And uh, here he is game two. He's out there starting. So you have to be smart with, <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the situations you're putting them in and for sure. But I'm proud of those two guys because the moment hasn't been too big for them. And then it's kind of the same thing last year. I mean, we played, we started four different quarterbacks last year because of injuries and um, each guy is different and you got to be smart with what you're asking those guys to do. And, and then certainly, you know, this, everybody around those guys has to step up their games also and, uh, and, and help those young guys. But for us, we've been fortunate, but the, the, the freshmen that have had to play, uh, in the secondary, the moment hasn't big hasn't been too big for them, and and uh, they, they've been fantastic. Yeah, I mean Jordan and Mo go down. I remember we were having the conversation. It's like, well, what do they do from here? It's like I, I don't know, but they've yeah. done a good job. And RJ too. I mean, goodness, it's been it's been difficult. The good news is you got good players to, to, yeah. that have obviously made up for it. You referenced the quarterback. Um, Spencer has been a big discussion on, on our show, and and obviously throughout the off season. It's a different world, a different offense, and and he's had some growing pains. But man, there's been some really bright moments too. Mm -hmm. At the same time, so where would you say he's at right now, coming off the bye week, when he could finally kind of catch his breath and get a good understanding of where he's going from here? Yeah, I think he continues to get more confident and continue to get more comfortable. Um, you know, he uh, he's made some big time throws for us this season that very few people in the country can make, in my opinion. And uh, he'll be the first to tell you, I'm sure there's some throws that he would like to, to have back. And, and it's helped him that we've been able to get the running game going a little bit better the last few weeks with Marshawn Lloyd. And, right. and you know this from having done our, some of our games when he and I were both at Oklahoma. I mean, we were really good on offense at Oklahoma because we were able to run the football so effectively. And uh, we've been able to do a better job of that the last few weeks. That helped Spencer. And, and uh, you know, I told Spencer at halftime of the Kentucky game, that, look, man, you're going to have to make some plays here in the second half and win this football game for us. And you've been in environments like this, and, and you can and you will. And he did. He made a couple uh, – he made a great throw on third down to Jaheim Bell, you know, yeah. where he allowed Jaheim to go up and only Jaheim catch it. And, and then, you know, we, we busted a couple protection issues, and he had – Spencer had to get himself out of trouble and – and, uh, and and get rid of the ball to receivers on third down against Kentucky, which he was able to do. So we've we um, the off week was good for everybody. Kind of allowed us to go back and self scout, find some tendencies. What are we doing well? What are we not doing well? And and then continue to to build on that. Not just for everybody, but not just for Spencer, but for everyone. But um, you know, we came back off the bye week and, and practiced on on Sunday night and. 
you know, he had a really good practice and made some great throws. And winning that Kentucky game, I think, was big for everyone here in this program, but certainly big for Spencer, too. And he's got our confidence. There's no question about it. Well, Coach, you, you were part of South Carolina's program during, our, I don't know, every year of South Carolina's history, but I'd argue, you know, the most successful run in South Carolina history. You were a part of it, and you lived it, and you were the, ironically enough, the recruiting coordinator. I wish you would have recruited a little worse. Um, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> when you think about what you witnessed and what you saw and how good those teams were because of in-state talent and being able to, to lean on in-state talent and then, of course, recruit the footprint while also balancing recruiting transfers that you're already having tons of success. I mean, Austin Stogner. I mean, Juice Wells is amazing from James Madison. Christian yeah. Beal-Smith. You know, is a solid performer for you guys as well. I mean, you guys are not afraid of the portal, but also at your core, you want to develop and you want young guys to be a part of the roster and to bring them up as homegrown talent as well. So how do you balance that knowing how you did it back in the day 10 years ago to where you're at right now? Yeah, you nailed it. And you're exactly right. When we were able, when I was here before and, and we had it rolling, it was keeping the best players in South Carolina at home. And that right. was Jadavion Clowney. That was my, uh, Marcus Lattimore. That was Stephon Gilmore. That was Alshon Jeffrey, DJ Swearinger, you know, on and on and on. Uh, and there were some great players in that time. We didn't get them all. A.J. Green went to, went to Georgia and Robert Quinn left the state and went to North Carolina. But winning our share of the battles. But the fact it, it's a fact South Carolina is not a heavily populated state like Texas or California or Florida. There's right. just not as many SEC football players coming out uh, of this state year in, year out as there are the other states. So we've got to do a great job of going to other areas surrounding us, getting into the Northeast a little bit, going into North Carolina and getting a guy like Melvin Ingram when I was here before, going into Georgia and getting Connor Shaw uh, when I was here before. But certainly we've got to be able to utilize the, the, the portal, especially now, as you mentioned it a few minutes ago, we just don't have the depth. Uh, I mean, last season going into my first year, you're, you know this, you're allowed to have 85 guys on scholarship. We only had 79 on scholarship right. to start the season. And um, now we can build that depth of the roster back up a little bit better. And we're going to have to utilize the portal early on when, when one, so it fits a need, which all those guys you just named were needs for us. Right. And then they fit what we want this program to be about and, and making sure they're great people and guys that love football and all that. But we'll always start with high school recruiting. We want to develop and build from within. But when we're not able to do that uh, on a specific, in a specific year, it helps to be able to utilize the portal and, and uh, we've done that going back to last year and then this year as well. Yeah, nine guys on the roster that, that you guys brought in, six of whom were mid-year guys, so are factors already. And I referenced a few, also referenced Spencer Rattler. Uh, it's obviously something that's gonna, that you guys will lean on. I think in South Carolina, I mean, shoot, you might not have 85 guys, may have not have that many guys that can go with, say, Ohio State or Bama. But tell you what, you can get 40, and 40 is all you need to be able to win a whole bunch of football games, and I have a lot of faith that you're going to be able to do that. Let's talk a little bit about this week's game. Uh, I'm not going to reference the run that A&M's currently on against South Carolina, uh, mm. but it's been a bit since South Carolina is, is – I don't know if they ever have, but I know they haven't since A&M's joined the league. How do you get the first win against the Aggies in South Carolina SEC rivalry history here? Yeah, no, you're right. We need to – 
we need to win win one of these in this game. Apparently, this is a trophy game, but nobody around here can show me or tell me what the trophy looks like. Never seen it. Um, I think it, what do they call it? The Governor's Cup or something like that? Uh, you get the Mayor's Cup when we play Missouri for the Battle of Columbia. I believe this is the uh, Bonham Trophy, uh, some, a South Carolinian that was at the Alamo, maybe, from what someone was telling gotcha, me. Gotcha, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> um, so we're going to have to play really, really well. I mean – uh, Coach Fisher's got a, a great team. They're playing so many freshmen. You watch them, they continue to get better each week. They've dealt with some injuries at, at certain positions as well and uh, haven't had a full roster, but you watch them. I mean, they're extremely talented. They look like what you want a football team to look like at, at, at every position, and uh, they continue to get better. They obviously had Alabama on the ropes. That game was going on the same time we played Kentucky, so didn't get to watch it, but obviously watching the tape getting ready for them. And, and uh, we went out to College Station last year and, and did not play well at all. And uh, we're going to have to play and coach a whole lot better than what we did last year. But our guys are excited um, being back at home uh, at night in Williams-Brice Stadium. It'll be an, an amazing environment on Saturday night. And, and uh, we've got to, you know, get back. we got to continue to do the things that we've been doing the last few weeks, running the ball, stopping the run, uh, creating turnovers defensively. And, um uh, got to have a great week of prep in order to go do that. Do you ever dance to Sandstorm in the locker room? <laughs> no, uh, I don't do much dancing. It's got to be a really big win. Our players may, and they, they love hearing it and all that, but the dancing with me is few and far between. And, and um, I think I've done it twice in wins in my last two years, and neither one of them have been pretty. But we can start. We win this one. I'll do any kind of dance they want me to do. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I think you could start the game with Sandstorm, but I don't know if do you finish the game with Sandstorm. Like, I don't know. It just feels repetitive. Maybe we'll just dump mail on you, like they did after the bowl game, <laughs> coach. That seems reasonable enough, huh? Yeah, sure. I, I feel like I'm past that after the season last year from the Mayo Bowl. I felt like it was eight straight months, all or nine straight months. All I was known for is the guy that got mayonnaise dumped on his head. And now I'm the guy <laughs> that put on the sunglasses and danced in the locker room after Kentucky. So. I'm working really hard to just be known for winning football games. That's my goal. <laughs> well, you're well on your way, Coach. We're so happy for you, man. Congrats on what you've accomplished so far, and best of luck this weekend. Thanks. Appreciate you having me on. Football season is here, and nothing beats seeing your favorite team live. Not only does Vivid Seats have great NFL ticket prices, they're also the official ticketing partner of ESPN. And with Vivid Seats Rewards, when you buy 10 tickets, you get the 11th free. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. Vivid Seats. Life happens live. Receive a reward credit equal to the average price of 10 tickets purchased, excluding taxes, fees, and processing costs. See VividSeats.com slash rewards for terms and conditions. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. All right, it's time to get to our midseason All-Americans. And I know you're going to look across the world. Everyone's going to have their All-American candidates and whatnot. These are six guys. And you're going to say, well, what are you doing? Start and backup, starter and backup, starter and backup for team one, two, and three? No, not really. Just we felt like this was an appropriate place to be able to cut the list off. Plus, you say pick six. 
pick six makes sense, especially when talking about quarterbacks. And by the way, the, all these guys, for the most part, I think have avoided them. I don't know. I, there might have been one sprinkled in there either way. All right, so the top six quarterbacks so far at the midway point in college football are as follows. And these are in no particular order, I might add, just listed. These guys all, I think, have made a strong case to actually be number one. But in whatever order you want to choose, this is how we have them. C.J. Stroud shouldn't require a whole lot of explanation at this point. Leads the country in total QBR. Has been off the charts good. 24 to 3 touchdown interception ratio. Also have been getting the ball out. Only four sacks surrendered right now from the Ohio State Buckeyes. So either way, no matter how you slice it, C.J. Stroud... Right now, probably the front runner for the Heisman Trophy, but certainly the guy that's number two is nipping at his heels. That's Hendon Hooker of Tennessee, most notably on display with what he did last week. Been off the charts good. Of course, doesn't have the zero in the interception column anymore, but for a while, man, that thing was in there. He's been phenomenal, not just throwing the ball, but also running the football. Number three, by the way, like I said, no particular order, Drake May of North Carolina. This was a guy I didn't know a whole lot about, if I'm going to be completely honest. No, he had an unbelievable quarterback competition there in the preseason against Jacoby Criswell. He ends up emerging, but man, has he been everything and more for this North Carolina football team. The one issue so far with him, he's taken an awful lot of sacks, but he remember, he's a freshman. Guy's only started seven games. Six and one, though, as a starter, and the only reason they're at six and one is because of that offense and because of how good the passing attack has been. He's been off the charts good. Let's go to number four, Max Duggan, a guy that started the season as a backup, works his way into the starting role, and now is playing as well as anybody. His team's sitting it undefeated, of course, 6-0. and He only has five starts to his name, but he obviously did a really good job there in the second half of the game against Colorado. So I'm also going to give him credit for that win as well. Plus, had he played the whole game, they would have been just fine. 16 to 1 right now, touchdown interception ratio, almost 70% completion rate. And it's not like these are dink and dunk passes either. They're throwing it down the field. TCU is going to take shots. And when you're completing 70% and taking shots, you're doing a lot of things really, really well. And then the final two, Bryce Young. I actually. I think our standard for him is so insanely high. It's almost unfair. It's almost unreachable. But look at the performance that he had against Tennessee. He wasn't flawless, by the way. I mean, there have been definitely some issues in his game. I don't think he's been as clean as he was a year ago. But at his best, he can go with anyone. That was obviously on display, not just last week, but in crunch time against Texas and in the time they're starting out the game against Arkansas. Obviously, those are the three big matchups so far. He's passed all those tests with flying colors. And then finally, a guy who might be lost for the season, but if we're going to cap off the midway point with a guy that has been impressive, how about Jalen Daniels of Kansas? For a while there, he led the country in total QBR. He has been amazing in revitalizing a team that at one point was really struggling. Now, I know he's missed most of the last two games. He, of course, got injured against TCU. In came Bean. Beans played well as well, so the offense clearly very quarterback friendly. But any list that doesn't include Jalen Daniels here at the midway point, I think is a list that is incomplete. The guy is, was honestly phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal in the games that he's played. So hopefully he can get healthy. Hopefully he can return. But at this point, he is an All-American in my eyes for sure. Others that narrowly missed, 
but we're under consideration. Cam Rising, they haven't lost two games because of him. It's been because of the defense. He did have the pick against Florida. Doran Thompson-Robinson, he's been awesome. Plenty of UCLA players that will get love in this exercise because that group, for the most part, has been off the charts. Caleb Williams, another guy at USC that's had a really good start to the season but narrowly missed the top six in my eyes. And then finally, Spencer Sanders. Yes, he lost against TCU most recently, but a big reason why uh, Oklahoma State's been playing at a high level is because of their quarterback position. A little bit banged up last week, but hopefully he can continue to play at the level that he's played at up to this point. Because if he does, Oklahoma State will find their way potentially into the Big 12 championship and then find a way to potentially, who knows, maybe exercise that that exercise revenge on TCU for the comeback loss this past weekend. Out of those top six that you named there, who's the most important to their team? Most important to their team, I'd say Bryce Young. When you look at at Alabama, and I look, C.J. Stroud, there's there's really no telling. They haven't, I mean, we don't know. You take him off, I, I don't know what's behind him. I don't know enough about the backup. Uh, I don't know enough about Hendon Hooker's backup either, if I'm going to be completely honest. Um, Drake May, I know his backup in a competition that came down to the wire must be pretty good if Drake May's having the season that he's having. Max Duggan, he was the backup coming into the season. And then Jalen Daniels, we saw Bean go in, and they almost won the game against TCU when Bean came off the bench. But if you take Bryce Young off the field for Alabama, we saw against Texas A&M just how human this group becomes. Now, Jalen Milrose, dynamite and electric and can do so much for you in the run game, but the passing game and the downfield passing game and the intermediate passing game is almost non-existent, plus the turnovers. So Bryce Young, I think, means maybe more to his team than probably anybody in college football. And without him, that Alabama offense outside of Jameer Gibbs has significant issues. All right, moving on to the backfield, mate, of the aforementioned quarterbacks. And there's a bunch of really good running backs out there right now. My goodness, it is a bit of a resurgence at the position because I thought it was going to be fairly easy to put together a top six list. And what's funny is maybe one of my favorite running backs coming into the year isn't on it. And maybe the fact that his team is undefeated and he's still not on it is even more mind-blowing. So maybe that's a bit of a hint, more on that. In just a minute. Top six running backs in America at the midway point. There's a few honorable mentions that were really difficult to keep off the list. I mean, I almost had an impossible time keeping a few of these guys off the list. It's like, golly, we need to expand it. Just couldn't. Had to limit it to six. So here we go. Let's give it our best shot. Let's start with Blake Corum at Michigan. I think he's been phenomenal. I'm not sure you could think of a better workhorse for what they want to be. He's quick. He's agile. His acceleration is off the charts good. The offensive line's done a really good job. I mean, he's able to hit the hole, and there's not much traffic in the hole until he gets to a full head of steam. But the way he's able to finish runs, the way he's able to get to the outside, and he can contribute a little bit too in the passing game, he certainly is a no-doubt lock for All-American status here at the midway point. Let's go next to the nation's leading rusher. That's Chase Brown. He's the only back so far to eclipse the 1,000-yard mark. He leads the country 1,059 yards already. That's through seven games. So those that are saying, well, I'm going to get there. I've only played five. Uh, fine, fair, whatever. Chase Brown's been awesome. 
absolutely awesome this year. The one issue, he does have a couple fumbles, but that can be overcome. That actually affected one other guy that we were considering as well. But the overcome, the fumbles, you got to be pretty dang special. He's been that. The guy's averaging 150 plus rushing yards a game. It's been off the charts. One of the highest numbers in college football. You look at how he finishes. He's just been, I think, a complete workhorse as far as making people miss and some of the things. Plus, yards after contact per rush. The guy's sitting at about three and a third yards after contact. So every time he hits you, the guy's still got three and a half yards left in him. That's a ridiculous number. All right. Really, really strong. But Chase Brown, the offense helps. No doubt about it. The offense helps him an awful lot. But he's making the most of his opportunities. And I don't think any of us should be that surprised with the success that he's had. At number three, the numbers don't necessarily back it up. The guy's rushed so far for 780 rushing yards. He's had only five and a half yards per carry. You're going to look at other backs on this list that have way more, and you're going to look at backs that are off this list that have way more as far as yards per carry is concerned. But I look at the well-roundedness of this young man's game, and you cannot exclude him. Bijan Robinson, with how he not only contributes in the run game, but how he also now has found his place in the passing game. And some of the catches that he makes, y'all, in the last couple of weeks, the guy's got two off-the-charts catches. One in particular against Oklahoma that was a back shoulder last week. It's like a post. I mean, goodness gracious, like receivers don't make that catch. This guy's a running back, and he's making that catch. He's just so elusive and so fun to watch. We just talked a second ago about yards after contact, okay? He's averaging three and three quarters yards after contact. That's remarkable, okay? We're impressed by Chase Brown's numbers. Well, Bijan's numbers are actually higher, and his offensive line isn't as good. Yards before contact per rush for the Texas Longhorn backs, under two. So a lot of his yards, we'd reference the fact that he's averaging just over five and a half a carry. Well, three quarters of those yards are coming after contact. Just goes to show you how good Bijan is. And two, it's an all-points bulletin every time he steps on the field. The defense says we cannot let that guy beat us, and yet he still finds ways to do so. It's pretty remarkable to watch how he operates. Next, a guy that's not there as far as the numbers are concerned, but when you watch him, he's almost electric. I mean, just absolutely electric, averaging over seven yards per carry. Zach Charbonnet for UCLA. Now, he's not the only one. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, of course, contributes in the run game. Kaz contributes in the run game as well. But when you watch, just watch how difficult it is to bring down Zach Charbonnet. Just watch it. All you got to do is, and maybe you've forgotten it because it's been a couple weeks. Maybe you'll say, well, they haven't played against a quality defense. Fine. Use whatever you want to use to be able to knock Zach Charbonnet down. That's fine. I won't do it because I watched this dude run. He looks fast. He's elusive. The first man almost never brings him down. He almost seems to be fit, always seems to be falling forward when he runs the football, but he has only 87 carries. I mean, the numbers aren't necessarily there to support him being a quote bell cow back. You look at some of the other guys we've talked about. I mean, Bijan's got 138. Chase Brown's got nearly 200. Blake Corum's got 146. And then here's little old Zach Charbonnet with 87 carries. If he was given the amount of attempts that some of the aforementioned guys got, what would his numbers look like? I think they'd be pretty staggering. So Zach Charbonnet certainly makes the list to me. 
when considering All-American running backs. Let's move next to Mo Ibrahim. I'm not sure how you could possibly put a list together that doesn't include what he's done. Not only has it been a great story to see how he's bounced back and to see how he's responded, but man, the guy's been unbelievable. Look at the offensive performance against Purdue. Look at how they played in his absence. They had no offensive run whatsoever. They couldn't get anything going. The guy's averaging nearly 140 yards per game. And let's remember, he's coming off of a torn Achilles. All right? Torn Achilles. Most people will never be the same after a torn Achilles. You can make a case that Ibrahim's actually been a little bit better than he was even at times in the year before last when he was obviously... I mean, last year he tore his Achilles in the first game of the year. He was great in what little time he had there in the first game of the year. But it's been a while since we've seen a lion's share of carries from Mo Ibrahim. He's awesome, man. Absolutely awesome. And I think if Tanner Morgan, for whatever reason, misses time moving forward, there is, you asked the question a second ago, Coops, who's the most important guy to their team? Well, you can make a case right now, Mo Ibrahim, is the most important guy to his team, given what Minnesota has when he's absent. And then finally, Jameer Gibbs. I knew that this guy was going to be the real deal. You knew it. You just had a feeling. And he hasn't been totally flawless at any point this year. But if you look at the contributions that Jameer Gibbs has made to the passing game in light of the fact that they have been searching for an alpha dog go-to wide receiver... Jameer Gibbs has been that for Bryce Young throughout the course of the season. He's been the one piece that's always seemed to been, be there. He's got 635 yards already, just 88 carries. But if you look at his contributions through the air, he's one of the most productive running backs in the country when contributing in the past game. So Jameer Gibbs, for sure, midseason All-American list with the productivity he's had, not just running the football, but also throwing it as well. Do you see any of these guys being Heisman contenders? I mean, I'm looking at Blake Corum's numbers, and he, Harbaugh didn't run him against the first three games really that much. But since Big Ten play started, he's been just ripping off like 28 carries a game, 100 yards each. Like, is he a legit Heisman contender? Yes. Uh, but I think the big thing now with Heisman – considerations you have to have big games against big time opponents and I would argue that if things go the way I think they're going to go I'm not sure there's going to be a game in college football that will be as hotly anticipated as Michigan Ohio State uh, if he can go into the horseshoe rush for 200 and route to a huge upset victory and then follow it up the next week in the Big Ten championship game with another remarkable performance even though it likely won't be against mega quality competition, depending on what happens in the Big Ten West, then yeah, he could certainly find his way into Heisman consideration. I think he's definitely in the mix too. Uh, but wouldn't it be interesting if the Big Ten championship is Chase Brown against Blake Corum and one of those two guys is in position to maybe you know take home the Heisman Trophy? It'd be pretty cool when you think about that possibility. And I can tell you this, if Illinois is going to get there, it's going to be because of how good how good uh, Chase Brown's been for the Illini. So the the league right now in the Big Ten, yes, no doubt it's C.J. Stroud's world. But I'll tell you what, don't don't sleep on these Big Ten running backs because there's a bunch of good ones, and, and we've listed two already. And, and then if you want to go down the list a little bit more, Ibrahim for what he's doing, Minnesota, off the charts good as well. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. 
Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Do you have ambitious hiring goals for the last quarter of 2022? With a powerful hiring partner, big goals are no big deal. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Indeed makes hiring all in one place so easy because it takes 10 minutes or less for most small business employers to post a job, according to Indeed Data US. Indeed also has a jaw-dropping pool of talent. In fact, three out of four US online job seekers search for jobs on Indeed each month, according to Comstore. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to sponsor your job post at Indeed.com slash always. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 offer. All right, and now for maybe the most difficult list that I had to put together. The wide receivers were impossible. Initially, it started as pass catchers, and I was going to include tight ends. But then I found uh, Michael Mayer, Dalton Kincaid, Brock Bowers. It's like... I. I'm giving no love to wideouts. I feel like I feel like I almost need to completely separate it. But maybe we can address tight ends down the road. I mean, it's a good year, I think, for tight ends across the board. But when you look at wide receivers, there are so many good ones. It's it's almost impossible to put together a list of just six because there are guys from smaller schools that are putting up enormous numbers. There are guys that are doing so in games that are somewhat out of hand, so they're stockpiling numbers. For instance, Trey Palmer at Nebraska is currently leading the country in receiving. But I don't personally consider Trey Palmer to be among the nation's best wide receivers. It's just my personal opinion. Now the you Nebraska fans, it's not, you know, it's not taking a shot at you or anything like that. Like I look at Ollie Jennings, transfer from West Virginia, what he's doing at ODU has been off the charts. What Rasheed Rice at SMU is doing, he's been off the charts good. Keelan Stokes at Tulsa. I mean, smaller school guys that are doing an incredible job. But right now, it's it's a little bit difficult to kind of figure out, all right, are, are they doing it against top quality competition? Are they able to create separation against top tier corners? I mean, it's a, is it they just stockpiling numbers because of how they're getting force fed? How many times are they throwing to a guy at the line of scrimmage and seeing what he does with it? All right. I, so I think that there's a lot of factors involved here because the receiver position has really evolved. So your top flight wide receivers, it's difficult for me to base it almost exclusively on offensive production and numbers. So just hear me when I say that, but these are the guys that I think are very, very difficult to defend. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, let's try to go through it. Let's start with uh, Emeka Igbuka with what he's done at Ohio State. And, and honestly, he's one of two wide Ohio State wide receivers on this list. The other is Marvin Harrison. I think both these guys, and I'm going to talk about them together. Not, not because they don't deserve their own their own extra special love here under the sun, but these two wide receivers, along with C.J. Stroud, 
they're so dynamic and you just don't know all right who do you cover them with you zone them do you man them do you want to play press coverage or do you want to play off like do you want to give them the underneath stuff and rally up and make the tackle like these two guys are a complete nightmare and knowing that we came into the season talking about jackson smith and jigba and how he was a runaway maybe a heisman trophy consideration himself and to see him kind of not really be a factor as much as any of us anticipated from him and to see these two guys step up has really been a, an amazing sight to behold. Any given week, you never know which guy is going to take, take, take over the offense. And I think both have been phenomenal. So Emeka Buka, and then of course what Marvin Harrison is doing as well. Those two guys would make my top six wide receivers in America and think that both are on the same team is completely mind-boggling let's move next to zay flowers of boston college sometimes for me it's really important to take into account just how much you mean to your team and there have been times now the numbers won't support zay flowers inclusion in this discussion he's 28th right now in college football and receiving yards but if you look at how many targets he gets he gets plenty but he really is by far the biggest option for Boston College, and yet he still gets his. Plus, guy doesn't drop passes, man. Just doesn't drop passes. Amazing when it comes to yards after catch. Very explosive with the ball in his hands. You can move him inside. That's where he's going to live for the most part in the slot. But I've seen just the versatility on display for him throughout the course of his career, but he is the sole reason why Boston College has been able to manufacture some points in some games. So Zay Flowers would make the list for me. Another guy that I did not know a whole lot about coming into the season. I just didn't. <laughs> I didn't know really anything uh, about this guy coming into the season. And then here we are sitting here in the middle of October listing him as a potential All-American candidate at wide receiver. That's Charlie Jones of Purdue. He's been able to fill a void there at Purdue that none of us could have really anticipated him filling kind of an unheard of guy in his first few years. And then boom, you lose a guy in David Bell. In comes Charlie Jones. No drop off whatsoever. Has played a little bit, obviously, without his quarterback as well. Does have a couple drops, a few more than I would have liked to see from a number one alpha dog wide receiver. But man, he can get vertical. And he is so productive right now. Nine touchdown receptions already for Charlie Jones. And you look at, he's seventh in college football in yards. Love what this young man's become and love very much his story as well. The fact that he kind of obscure, under the radar, kept grinding and now finds himself in the featured role for a pass-happy offense that will make sure he makes an impact. Here's a guy next that was not on the list coming into today. Or not on the list coming into last week. Had I put my list together a week ago, had no chance. But in maybe the biggest game of the season, maybe the biggest game for his program, in the last 10 years, Jalen Hyatt essentially put the team on his back. 10 touchdown receptions. Now he had five last week. 595 receiving yards. He had 207 last week. And only 33 catches to think how vertical he can get and how much of a deep threat he's become. I don't know how you can... In the biggest game, on the biggest spotlight, he was the best player on the field at times. I don't know how you can leave him off your list. He was a big reason why Tennessee was able to get it done against Alabama. So he has to make pre or mid-season All-American consideration. So I'd put Jalen Hyatt in there right now. And then finally, this one was tough because I felt like I was leaving off 
a lot of really good players. And I didn't want to do that, but I felt like I had to. Marvin Mims to me at Oklahoma. I know the numbers won't support his inclusion. He's 32nd in college football in regards to receiving yards with 542. He has just three touchdowns. It hasn't been pretty at times for Oklahoma. It hasn't been pretty at times for Marvin Mims. But I look at it, he lost basically two games. Two games worth of productivity when Dylan Gabriel wasn't out there. Dylan Gabriel, I know, played in the first quarter against against TCU. But he got hurt early in the second quarter, and Marvin Mims became essentially a non-factor for the rest of that game and then the entirety of the Texas game. But when this guy gets a chance, he is pretty dang solid. I know that he's not necessarily going to be a guy that's going to constantly work underneath and constantly do all these little things and just stockpile receptions. He's a big play guy. But my goodness, man, when his quarterback's out there and when he's available, he is certainly a guy that can flat out get after you. He's excellent when it comes to route running. He's excellent in regards to yards after catch. He's excellent in being able to get behind the defense on a very regular basis. So Marvin Mims would make the list for me right now, even though the numbers wouldn't necessarily support him being listed amongst the others. So like I said beforehand, a lot of honorable mention wide receivers, a lot of great wide receivers across the board in college football. But these six to me would be the biggest headaches if I had to put together a defensive plan against them. All right, great show. Appreciate Coach Beamer joining us. It was fun going through some of those mid-season All-American for the skill position guys offensively. And I'm telling you right now, man, kind of one final thought here as we're at the midway point, we're starting to look ahead. We make way too many assumptions about teams. Like we make way too many prognostications that include, well, this team's going to run the table and this team's going to run the table and this team's going to run the table and this team's going to run the table. And then we're going to sit there at the season end and be like, there's not enough teams to fit 14 playoff. There's too many teams. They're like, how are we going to limit? Y'all upsets happen every single weekend, every single weekend there's upsets. And the other thing too, if you're USC, if you're Alabama, if you're one of the six teams that were undefeated going into last weekend, all right, I'm, maybe I'm not talking to you, Coastal Carolina, or you, James Madison. All right, no disrespect, but let's just let's talk about the other teams just for a moment. If you're undefeated going into last weekend, all is not lost. I mean, goodness gracious, man. You would think that the world is coming to an end. It's not. Like, there have been very few undefeated national champions. Very few. Especially in the college football playoff era. Seems like you stub your toe, you learn from those mistakes, you get back on the horse, man. And to me, there are way too many people jumping ship. Like, Don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. Just relax. And then do us one favor. If you are on one of those teams that stubbed your toe this past weekend and have hopes of getting to the cultural ball playoff, don't let the same thing beat you that almost beat you or beat you this time around. Like, don't let that happen because that then you're Alabama, right? Like penalties, mistakes, turnovers, sloppiness. Like they've had that coming for a while. Now they never suffered the ultimate pain of disappointment. They never lost. So maybe now Nick Saban will get the attention of his team and they'll get things addressed. Because there's one thing that's really bad for a program that when they're trying to build and trying to get better is that playing bad and winning doesn't teach you what you need to be taught in order to become a championship program. Like losing forces change, changes in behavior 
And that's ultimately what you need to do if you're not playing well at this point of the season. But just relax. What was it? Last year or last year, where was Michigan ranked at this point? Last year and say a few years ago, where was Oklahoma at this point where they lost a game early and then they rallied to make the college football playoff? Back in 2014, where was Ohio State at this point after they lost week two to Virginia Tech? Like, you're not going to be defined necessarily by what happens in a singular loss in October. Get better. And we'll evaluate you as we see fit. Look, we also tomorrow, since we're getting to that point, we're almost to a point where we need to start talking about the college football playoff. And we'll, look, we're not going to we're not going to major in the college football playoff like some shows. Like some shows just want, oh, well, who's your four? No, we're not going to do that. But we're going to put out a little bit of a ranking, and and how it should be based on who you've beaten, who you've played, how you've played. Strength of schedule, strength of record, strength of resume. We're going to put out a little bit of a list here. And then we're going to talk a little bit more big picture about what's going on in the world of college football. So don't worry. You got to be here for us on the Wednesday edition of Always College Football. So for Mark Kubiak, for Jack Foster, I'm Greg McElroy. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. Hit us up in our social media at AlwaysCFB. Hit us up in our email at football at gmail.com for all of us here at always college football we hope you have a wonderful day and remember it's always college football hey guys it's greg mcelroy thanks for watching always college football make sure you like rate and subscribe to espn's youtube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts